0: Hey there! Are you part of a team or a group of collaborators who are struggling with messy communication? Have you ever wished for a tool that could help you clarify your points and get organized easily? Well, look no further than Gmoo. This amazing collaborative tool lets you capture yourself in your screen, take beautiful screenshots, and combine text, videos, images, and audio in an expressive document. You can then organize all your files visually in a mind map, calendar or slide view and send them out via a link to boost your communication with gmu you'll never get lost in cluttered messages again check it out at gmu.com that is g-e-m-o-o.com and the link to it can be found in the show notes start experiencing seamless collaboration today Hi, this is the UX Growth Podcast, the podcast that helps people learn and grow in UX design industry. I'm your host, Nick Mann. I'm here with another guest of season two of Nick Fink, a user experience and product design coach and founder of Craft & Rigor. Thank you for being here, Nick.
1: Thanks for having me. This is great. And also with a fellow Nick too, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's always fun to talk with people of the same name. (laughs) So absolutely, so yeah, no, so, yeah, tell us a bit about your background. How did you get to start today?
1: Uh, boy, um, well, I don't want to cover all the 25 years because I know we have limited time on this call. But um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, when I started out, um, the web was just becoming a thing. Um, and so I got to learn from the O'Reilly threefold brochure of how to build a web page using HTML um I don't even remember if it was html maybe it was like 2.0 or something like that I don't know um it wasn't like the three and with all the animation and all that stuff at that time that's when I started so doing front end um and then working my way through my career kind of learned about information architecture because I've actually been doing that on a project um and it wasn't until um Uh, 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 great Christina Woodkey came along and said like, hey, Nick, what is it you do each day, you know, tell me about like the kind of work you do and I explained it to her and she says it sounds like you're doing information architecture, you should check out this polar bear book, which is the book by Lou Rosenfeld and Peter Morville, um, which kind of sort of the catalyst or cornerstone of uh, information architecture and I read it I'm like, yeah, this is a lot of what I've been doing in addition to like front end development and a little bit of design here and there. Um, and that's where I kind of led into a path, um, where I started doing more information architecture. Um, that was at the time before interaction design was a big thing. Um, prior to that, there was something called interactive design, which is different, kind of more from the agency realm. Um, and, uh, essentially, uh, the IXDA started becoming a thing, um, and UX started becoming a thing. And I went down the path of user experience design because. I always felt like a strong affinity to um, working on products and projects and websites that help people complete tasks and help make their lives a little bit easier kind of even in the smallest ways. Um, And so that really resonated with me, plus the kind of combination with um, UX and research um, and and being able to marry those two skills to be able to be um, more effective at design.
0: Hmm, yeah, no, it's just, as we're going through the process, like, I learned there's all these different kinds of so like, it kind of feels like you have to, like, like, for a beginner feel like they have to master it all, just because it feels so open ended. Yeah, and it can be very daunting. So that also kind of like uh, leads to my, my next question. I always love that uh, is like, what do you think are the, the certainly skills that a lot of people need to know in order to succeed in the UX field?
1: Yeah, so if we're talking about specifically UX design, um, I mean, there are definitely a number of skills that you need to have um, as you enter into the field. Um, those skills are going to be added to as you get further along in your career. Um, like, okay. for example, um, uh, if you're more senior or principal level UX designer, you might be needing to have skills of like diplomacy and communication skills to be able to operate and function um, uh, in rooms with um, other executives um, to kind of win the hearts and minds um, of some of the work that you're doing as a UX professional or the work that your team is doing if you're in a lead position. Um, or a management position, um, so those are different skills that you would need kind of further along in your career, but at the start of your career um, foundational skills um, are, are basically um finding solutions to problems right um Mm -hmm. and you know if you kind of look at it from the design standpoint that's the the doing part of it in some ways um but there's this other thinking part of design that is often overlooked which is just um like critical thinking thinking about things that um are um starting to have more uh, broad broad attention now um for example like ethics and accessibility and inclusiveness um you know those sort of things that were kind of like footnotes in the past um unfortunately um are now becoming kind of more commonplace um more needed um even if it's even if the organization isn't necessarily aware so um there's a lot to learn um, but you know if you're starting out you know fundamentally being able like obviously to design screens and be familiarity have some familiarity with specific tools Um, There's kind of what I call the tool of the day, um, which is this notion that whatever tool you learn today and become, let's just say you decide to become an expert at that tool, um, that's going to probably change tomorrow. Um, You know, we can look at like, for example, just the move um, from the days of like where everybody was using kind of like Photoshop to then going on to doing sketch. Um, and now we got Figma as the big thing. Um, mm. There's some uncertainty where Figma is going with Adobe. Um, I yeah, it's trust like, it's yeah, in...
0: How long is that going to stay, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw that like with Dreamweaver and other things with Adobe. Um, we don't know what's going to happen there. I have faith in Adobe doing the right thing for the community, um, so I don't, I don't mean to scare anybody by this, but it could be that you're learning a new yeah. tool or um, Adobe takes what they learned from Figma and then builds a new tool on top of that, you know? Um, so you might be learning a new tool, you know, in, a, in the coming years. So looking at your skill set is it's important to not just gravitate towards tools as the thing that, you know, um, you know, this is more around the understanding and experience that you will build over time through, you know, trying different things, going on, uh, doing different work on different projects and learning different things. Um, so one is kind of a growth mindset is to always be learning if you're new to the field especially if you were a student before whether you're boot camp or university you have that growth mindset because you were a student you had to you had to be learning something new you had to kind of be conditioning yourself to say i need to absorb this like a sponge i need to apply these things i need to practice these things um just like riding a bike basically the more practice you get the better you get at it right so Mm -hmm. this kind of translates into doing more ux right um, the more you do it, the more you see different things that happen like, um, oh, that design I created that I thought was perfect for our users, turns out that users are having even more of our difficult time using it. Um, you know, some of this can be vetted out with um, usability testing um, and, and other kinds of like even just paper prototyping and just digital prototyping, um, you can you could find out a lot before you sort of launch something. Um, in the environment we're in, and especially in big tech, um, there's not a lot of time to test stuff before it goes out the door. Um, so that's why you see a lot of smaller things being released, rather than bigger things. Um, and those small things are in the ideal world measured um, to see whether successful. So using your evaluative skills, your problem solving skills, Um, You're going to have to be good at communication because you're going to be often working with engineers, project managers, product managers, marketing managers. um, You know all sorts of different folks data scientists are your best friend Um, in tech you will often be working with a researcher in smaller companies, you might be the researcher also Um, so having understanding of. um, Uh, Exploring problem spaces and doing what's called generative research, meaning finding out um, what's out there, what the market is interested in, what the problems are, how to help solve those problems um, are going to be the skills that you're going to need from from the sort of soft skill level. Now, there's a layer of, um, you know, execution um, between tools and the soft skills, which is basically methods and approaches and, um, you know, Different kind of tasks and techniques to do different things, like um, mental models and um, wireframing and card sorting and you know A/B testing and um, you know analyzing data um, and analyzing research, you know, and then um, formulating that into um, uh, research reports and things like that. These will come with time. Um, there's a number of resources out there to just kind of like you can pretty much just Google it and you're going to find something out there um don't rely on just one resource to tell you how it is um look at a number of them um those are going to help you um just kind of understand like oh well this person said you know use journey maps in these contexts and you're about to just kind of lead the charge of doing journey maps at your company and then you realize well journey maps are going to produce these sort of results and what we actually need is a service map like a service diagram and we're actually doing service design at this point you know Um, And don't be surprised if you have to wear those kind of hats that you thought were like kind of ancillary or a different field from what you're doing. Um, Oftentimes, I talk to user experience professionals and they end up doing a lot of service design or customer experience design. And this is not to belittle those fields. Those fields are like people that have definitely dived deep into those spaces. But um, depending on the scale of the company, depending on who's hired there, depending on what kind of staff and teams they have, Um, and what kind of disciplines they have inside the organization, um, you may find um, yourself kind of needing to cover a lot of ground. Um, And that's kind of the way of the UX. You end up being like sort of this generalist in a lot of ways, covering a lot of different things that maybe weren't taught in your boot camp or your school. Um, And that's why there's the web and peers like myself and other folks out there that can kind of help walk you through these things. I would say always have a good mentor for that. Um, I know this is a long answer um, just because there's so many different layers to it, but um, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think at a fundamental level, the disciplines that I've seen in the field um, for UX design in tech is connected to interaction design, information architecture, um, and uh, sometimes with usability testing and evaluation, um, that could be data-centric evaluation. Um, But um, those are kind of the core skills there, I would say connected to that, depending on the product space you're operating in, you might find like content design is a thing, um, or even content strategy um, that might need to be needed, or is needed at your organization, depending on what kind of stuff you're doing. Um, And then there's kind of different modalities, like, for example, um, whether you're working on just websites or you're working on mobile apps for iOS or iOS and Android, those require other understanding of those platforms, especially if you're going to be doing some of the UI design, which, again, in smaller companies, you probably will, in bigger companies, maybe you won't hopefully that
0: helps no, yeah, <laughs> yeah i know absolutely and no worries on it feeling like you went uh over the question because of you're also going over other topics that i would love to learn about as well so that this kind of actually saves me Tom, being able to say those questions <laughs>
1: Cool, great i'm glad it works. i yeah, know i
0: definitely <laughs> i know i totally understand where you come from where it's like a lot of times like it kind of when we go into these fields especially if the uh, the design isn't exactly like fully functional on the team where it feels like you're a generalist or have to do almost everything and a lot of it kind of like falls onto you like that's that's actually kind of like how I felt when I get into the field because I come from a graphic design background Mm -hmm. and I come from small agencies so like 10 people or less Mm -hmm. and what that means is that there's a lot of different hat wearing on hey okay we got it we gotta do this for this client i know you don't do front front front-end development but can you do it and a lot of times you have to say yes
1: yeah yeah i mean that's that's where i started is rooted in front-end development moving into design right um and i think you know also looking at from the standpoint of um in a good economy if you're if you're new to the field you're a more affordable resource right than say the person that has like 8 10 20 years experience whatever it might be. Um, so, generally speaking, companies that can't typically afford a typical UX designer at a senior level, which is usually what everybody looks for in a good economy, um, then they start looking for more um, mid-level or entry-level folks. Um, so, you find yourself in this spot where um, they they maybe didn't really think through the budgeting that they're going to need to have for a UX team or UX professional, even a single professional. Um, And so they're looking kind of for a discount model right so that means Okay, can we hire somebody in that's more affordable that's kind of newer to the field. And so that's when they start hiring in entry level and what some people might call associate or junior level talent Um, and but then you know if it's a small company there's not other designers there Um, and so you're basically. Carrying the load of everybody, right? Um, you know, so you're the content strategist, you're the content designer, you're the, you know, usability testing professional. You know, you're the one doing the analytics. You know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's a great learning experience. And I would take it as that. Um, I usually recommend people new to the field to try to find employment at a position where there are other designers. Um, even if you find yourself doing all the things at least you can lean on other designers for advice tips guidance and mentoring internally um you know and always have an external mentor too outside the business because sometimes there's just topics that you can't really you don't really feel comfortable sharing to or nor should you sharing to an internal mentor versus somebody outside of the company that doesn't you know, have a chain of command that they could say like hey this person's saying they're going to quit or whatever you know you don't want that information bubbling up internally so. um, You know, it can be very frustrating on the job and without a mentor it's kind of like you're you don't have a support network right. Um, I would Mm -hmm. say you could include coach in there as well and coaching and mentoring a little bit two different beasts, but um, uh, you know that is your support network in addition to the community as a whole um i know we chat on twitter um a lot of industry pe- people are on twitter i'm not necessarily recommending hey jump on twitter because as we've seen today there's a lot of uh, a lot of change going on on twitter right now um but like go into the social media channels go into the slack channels go on linkedin go on other social media platforms find the designers and have those conversations and ask those questions especially if you're new to the field it doesn't hurt to ask questions you know um you may get sarcastic responses you may get negative responses um that's okay move along find somebody else who's going to give you a good helpful constructive answer right um and uh you know that's the tools that you have in front of you so that's part of your support network the community itself
0: yeah I definitely feel you because uh it's like there's just so many different types of people so it's like not everyone is going to be able to fit with everyone because of that and like i know i can i definitely speak a lot lot about uh different uh kind of coaches i also have one of myself and he's really great i don't think i would be where i am today if it wasn't for him so like i always definitely like recommend so but speaking on that what you say is like the difference between coaches and mentors
1: yeah so i use this kind of interesting spectrum um of things um from uh basically like what your manager may give you feedback on and advice on um, all the way to like what a therapist might. Um, so if you think of a therapist, they're not like telling you how to do things. You know, they're not like, oh, yeah, you need to quit that job. Oh, now you need to leave that person like whatever. You know, they're not giving you direct advice. What they're doing is they're asking you questions and they're getting you to think about things and think through things and are helping you think through those particular things. Um, to find your own answers. Um, that's what a coach does. A coach isn't going to be like, oh yeah, you need to move that five pixels over, and hey, stop using this software, use that software, and by the way, you know, you need to have some experience doing this particular thing. That's what a mentor does. A mentor is a person that's going to like be in the tactics of things, right? Where a coach mm-hmm. is going to be more in the strategic level thinking, right? Um, they're going to help you kind of um, like you'll say like I'm running into this problem with my boss, and da 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 da. Um, And then I might ask you like, well, you know, when this happened, how did that, you know, make you feel, you know, so it's very like, very fuzzy kind of stuff, right? You know, it's like, oh, I was angry about it. It's like, okay, well, have you had the conversation? Have you shared how it made you feel when they did this thing, you know? Um, And a lot of times the answer is no, it's like, okay, well, have you considered, you know, maybe, maybe that's something that you could do, you know, and then the person starts working through their own problems, or it could be just a bigger problem, like, um, we're dealing with this design issue, and we're not sure how to approach it, and, you know, and usually a coach will be like, okay, if I wasn't in the room, how would you go about doing this? Well, my first step might be maybe getting a better understanding of the users because their personas are dated or whatever. It's like, okay. That sounds like some kind of a start of a plan, you know, so they kind of help you see you already have your answers. You just haven't kind of collected them together yet. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, that's sort of what a coach does. Um, What I offer is kind of a hybrid of both coaching and mentoring. Um, Now, if you talk to a formal coach, they would say, no, 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 this is like the wrong way. You shouldn't do coaching this way. You should never be being prescriptive about how to do things. But Um, because I do it specifically for the profession of UX design um, and product design and research, um, then it becomes a very, like, there's a very finite set of things that, like, oh, you're running into this problem. Well, here's, like, a method that you could use, you know, so there is more prescriptive feedback on that kind of stuff, um, while also, like, helping people navigate more difficult um, challenges about, like, should I stay at this job or, you know, um, how come I haven't got promoted, you know, um, you know, all these things that kind of impact our careers and um, just the design profession in general. Um, You know, sometimes it's like, you know, should we switch to this other tool or not? You know, I can help them walk through all the things to think about in that space while also giving them, you know, um, awareness that they already have a plan. They just haven't like put it together and lined up all the dots yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was actually just going to say that I can see why some coaches would say not to do that, because a lot of times you look at themselves as like performance coach or a mindset coach, and that can be very broad yep. about yep. different kind of fields. But because you're very specific in the UX industry, now you have more leeway about what is, you know, there's only so many correct ways to go about certain procedures and get the, get the correct data and then interpret that as well. So yeah. that's why it feels a lot more dialed in
1: a little a little yeah a little spin on that i would say is um, there's not necessarily usually one correct way that's like a very dogmatic way to kind of you know like look, look at design right um and i think that's kind of generations past right like it's like oh we must do personas we must do these things every project's going to be different every project's mm-hmm. going to have different Methodologies and approaches, different deliverables created um, because they're going to be different problem sets. Used, you know, and if you're at an agency, maybe it's even completely different industries for each client, right? Um, if you're in house, <clears throat> it could be different product space um, over here, and then the next day you're moved on to a different product space over there. Um, and these are enterprise customers, and these are consumers over here. You know, um, so you'll you'll find that the tools. Um, that you would think are like always needed in every project are actually not always needed in every project Um, especially once you start incorporating agile and lean process and um, you know just the idea of being like very thin on spending time and effort on things that aren't absolutely necessary Um, you know so there's no one right way I think of it like more like a toolbox right Um, Mm -hmm. so as a mentor I'm helping people recommend uh you know tools to them in some ways like um use the screwdriver today and a hammer tomorrow or use the the chainsaw on this and then we'll use like a handsaw on that thing you know um and that's kind of the more if i'm going to be prescriptive it's going to be around that level but knowing the context of their project is important um that's why case studies become such an important thing for candidates when they interview and when they're applying for positions so Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i know it's uh, a I you know I just learned all the different tools. And like now there's definitely a lot of places where you don't even need all the tools. Like it's, it's always kind of fun to hear like other designers here. Like I've never made a persona, uh, you know, outside of their course they did. Like, like, wow. Now, you know, it's like these kind of these little surprising things that you typically don't hear about, but like you know, it makes sense in, in their, in their work environment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Every, every company is different. Every organization is different. Every culture is different inside of a company. Right. Um, I I did work for PayPal once and they, um, you know, they actually had done a significant amount on personas and not just marketing personas, but actually technology personas. Um, So UX personas. And um, they had uh, created these things into posters and put them on the walls inside the company. And to an outside, they would like laugh. Oh, yeah, yeah. What good is that going to do? You know, it's like, okay, they'll see them on posters, but they'll just sort of ignore them. Like, those motivational posters we see hanging around the office or whatever when we used to have offices. Um, But uh, the thing is, is it really came into the culture, like the personas became part of the vernacular inside the company, where to the point when we were an agency working with them um, on a project, they were talking about like Sally and Dave and Bob, you know, um, these are just, I don't remember the specific names of the personas, but like they were just referring to them and I kept thinking they were talking about an employee or a leader person that was inside the organization but just wasn't in that meeting and it's like oh sounds like we need to have Sally in the room, it's like no, 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 Sally's the IT professional that you know does on-prem work and you know oh okay, and they actually used this as part of the conversation to say like okay what would Sally need in this particular context, you know. Um, you know, and, and, it, and once I realized they were sort of using this persona as a model for how they think about things, it started to really kind of hit me that some organizations really embrace this stuff. And in others, it's kind of like, well, you might as well written it on a an napkin and thrown it away, you know, um, because mm-hmm. you created this persona and nobody really used it. So a large part about deliverables like a persona is the notion of evangelizing them and the notion of um, getting people to understand the value of using them and how to use them in the context versus just creating the deliverable. Um, We as designers sometimes feel like dogmatically we have to do them Um, and then we feel like how come they're not being utilized, you know, after we created them. And it's because there's all this other footwork that has to happen to get the company to really embrace this concept. In addition to not not only that, but like as most people in most organizations are feeling right now is um, the design maturity level at which organization is functioning. It is a mm-hmm. thing for more senior level people to be involved in for sure, um, but as a junior designer just know that like sometimes it's okay to not do some things. Um, we get really held up on gosh this project I don't want to showcase it because it never do did persona, you know, we never did personas we didn't base the work on this stuff it's okay it's still a project you still did work you did the ui you did the interaction design you did these other things the information architecture showcase that talk about that part of it right
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i think that makes a lot of sense and uh it's, wow it's a really good answer i really did appreciate that yeah, <laughs> yeah but also like um uh, and it, uh, an issue that's already happening within the UX design industry is, you know, the economy and how that is currently shifting, whether we like it or not. So I would love to hear about your thoughts on it and how other designers can be able to deal with it in a better, yeah. A, a better way.
1: Yeah. So as a coach, I definitely been keeping tabs on the economy and how things are going from the job market standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. I would say, um, you know, it was. Um, there's very wide sweeping changes as a lot of folks in the U.S. probably noticed. Um, uh, It kind of starting in January, maybe even December, um, where there were big tech companies doing a lot of layoffs. Um, And um, that kind of started rolling out to smaller tech companies and even to non-tech companies. And we're still seeing kind of changes happen um, in businesses that might be technology focused, but not like their sole purpose of business is to create an app or a website or a web service or something like that. Um, so, you know, think of like a brick and mortar company that has technology or um, aerospace that has technology. Um, we're starting to see some layoffs happen with in those spaces, too. Um, and I think it's just kind of a trickle down effect because um, technology workers were some of the best paid workers in in, in a lot of the fields out there. Um, you know, obviously, like there are professions for sure that get paid more than us. but um, the, you know, we did bring a lot into the economy and now things are shifting because a lot of us got laid off, right? And a lot of us are unemployed, so we're not buying the things. We're not going to the places we used to. We're being more um, conscious of our budget and all these sort of things. Um, and that just kind of has broader sweeping effects, right? Um, the Obviously, the pandemic didn't help with that the matter. Um, and I think possibly maybe one of the things that started kind of this whole snowball effect, Um, There are a lot of companies that were doing success, like we're being successful in their efforts, um, but then did layoffs anyway. Um, So there's a lot of subjectivity around that. And in terms of like, why are these happening? It's not necessarily related to finance per se, Um, but it does mean fewer jobs. It does mean companies that are on hiring freezes. It does mean companies that have done layoffs, does mean companies that are going into second rounds of layoffs. it does mean when you do get the job and you do get that high pay that you probably will have to work a lot harder than you imagine to retain that job um, and to not be the next person in the next wave of layoffs, you know that that loses the role. Um, the other challenge is, of course, being a new hire um so if you're just getting into the field um prepare yourself right um prepare yourself for the notion that you may get a job you may land a job it might be perfectly well everything's fine the economy is fine for them uh business is doing great and then a month or two later that they do layoffs and you find yourself out of work um it's not that uncommon it is important that you ask those questions in the interview process about you know hey have you done layoffs how's the economy doing you know are you guys kind of like try to try to get a general like understanding of are they tightening their belt or are they kind of cool with where they're at and just kind of moving ahead through the turbulent waters, right? Um, Or are they absolutely impacted by the turbulent waters, right? Um, That's important to understand as you go into that job. Um, It doesn't mean like avoid companies who recently did layoffs. Maybe they did layoffs and they're good now and they're not going to do layoffs going forward because they've already kind of, you know, trimmed down the staff. They've already started focusing on being kind of lean uh, lean teams, uh, meaning like not, you know, five designers for every product, it's one designer for each product, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, so uh, just to be aware of that, there are spreadsheets out there. I've shared them on Twitter and other places They're out there on LinkedIn, other people have posted them, but, um, you know, there's websites dedicated to these things. Um, they're mostly like air tables and, you know, cloud-based spreadsheets um, that ch- show essentially the kind of current, like, number of companies that have like laid off individuals and it's usually confirmed so it's not just arbitrary random hearsay talk conversation um, it's actually like confirmed there's usually press articles and things that have been published that kind of show evidence of it um, and they'll show data. Um, that's so the the layoffs one spreadsheet freezes hiring freezes a different spreadsheet um, and you can look at these things and kind of get a sense for. You know, oh, did this company just reemerge from a hiring freeze? Maybe things are going better for them. You know, you kind of get a sense for that. It also helps you when you apply to a job. If the recruiter like contacts you one day and says they're going to set up a meeting and then like a month goes by and nothing happens or two months go by and nothing happens, um, it could give sometimes insight about what happened there. Like gee, maybe the, even the recruiter was laid off, you know, right? Um, did my email bounce when I respond? You know, I kind of pinged them and said, hey, haven't heard from you guys, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, but also like looking to see like, hey, did they do layoffs or hiring freezes? will probably say like whether this role is even existing anymore because sometimes you'll see things like on LinkedIn or other job boards, but have actually been removed from the company site. It's just the recruiter maybe have been has been laid off and didn't go back through to like remove them from all those third party sites. Um, mm-hmm. So you'll see job postings. I even had this happen the other day where I saw a posting, uh, uh, seeked out interest in it, found uh, a friend that was there in a similar title or same title and approached them and said, hey, you know this job looks interesting. They're like, oh, actually that's the job I filled. It's like, oh, okay. So they just didn't pull down the old job and they're still hiring that company. Um, But um, that said, don't be surprised to see those kinds of things. Um, And then when somebody gets hired into a role that you were applying to, um, still like, you know, if it's somebody, you know, keep in contact with them because you never know what's going to happen there. They might be growing. Maybe they're hiring more people. Now they need another person under that person. You know, it's like, okay, cool. Like maybe that's an opportunity for you. Um, Don't just Mm -hmm. assume the door is completely shut and it's not going to reopen again anytime soon kind of thing. Um, And I've had that happen a few times with different, like, especially in leadership roles. Um, I know for people entering the field, it's probably less relevant, but like even for um, mid and junior level positions, it's, it's always been hard to find roles and opportunities out there. They're usually not listed in job boards. So when you do find it and then you find out somebody else got it, it doesn't mean it's kind of like the end of this journey. Like keep the conversation going, build connections, because ultimately you want to have connections inside the company before they even post their job posting. Right. Um, and when they post it, it's going to be in somebody's Twitter account. It's going to be on some random you know person's LinkedIn account. It's going to be on the company blog. You know, it's not necessarily going to be on the job board because, generally speaking, when you say, "Hey, I'm hiring for a UX designer, and you need zero or one year of experience," I mean, the entire market is available for that. That okay. everybody's like, you know, right? So, um, they're going to generally be overwhelmed. So, generally, they're going to say, "We need to post this in places where it's not just mainstream, um, where people who are generally interested in our business and our company." are going to find it. It's like, oh, they're already following these people on LinkedIn or on Twitter, or they're already reading our blog, or maybe they have one of those cool little design org websites as part of their company, you know, and that's where it gets posted. And it's just this very like arbitrary, like this site, this blog used to just post a bunch of articles and all of a sudden it's posting a job posting. There's a reason for that, right? Um, Internships and things like that are also posted in very much the same kind of mindset. because if they open the floodgates and post it on like these big job boards, they're just gonna be overwhelmed and pretty much crippled by the number of candidates applying. Um, it's it's um, unfortunately, it has moved from a uh, employee's market to an employer's market, and that's the current state of things. So the best thing you could do is use your networking, get connections to people, find out about roles before they're even posted anywhere. Um, and it's, it's often that like you could find a manager of design cruising around on a meetup or whatever, it used to be in person, you know, but now they're all virtual and stuff or at a conference or whatever, or virtual conference. You could find these folks in these spaces and ask them, be direct, you know, like, hey, look, I'm looking to get in the field. I'm looking for entry level positions. Does anything like that kind of, you know, sound like you guys might be doing that anytime soon? Um, and I apologize, I keep using my guy uh, guys, but I mean, folks. Um, and, um, okay. but that said, um, you know, Yeah, maybe they are or better yet if they're like oh you are looking for work oh you're that's right you went to school for this and you just graduated or you went to a boot camp or whatever that hire manager may even create a role for you um may even decide that you know what we do need to take on a a more entry level person because we've got kind of a lot of work that makes sense for that because right now i got to tell you most companies have been hiring senior level talent and most of that senior level talent a portion of what they do every day is what are things that could be done easily by somebody newer to the field, somebody more entry or mid-level versus, uh, you know, not money well spent having the most senior person that should be thinking very strategically, very high level, um, do, you know, hey, we need to execute five different variations of this login screen or whatever. It's like that could be done by pretty much anybody who's got some level of experience in the field.
0: Mm, Yeah, I I love how you're answering a lot of questions. Other questions that I was gonna ask you. So it's like it feels pretty great to be able to go through them so easily. So yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. So for for a beginner who wants to like, yeah, wants to break in, what what do you say is the advice to them yeah to break into the UX design industry?
1: Yeah, so it's I, I think the biggest advice I could say is right now, no things are in a difficult economy, knowing that. Yeah. That is the case. You're probably not going to see a lot of job posted. You're going to probably see bigger companies, big tech companies, and you know Fortune 500 companies maybe stop hiring at the mid and lower levels um, and only hire senior talent because they're trying to have like talent that can kind of do it all, you know, and has seen it all. Um, and uh, while I don't necessarily feel that is ideal because it doesn't create a balanced team, a balanced team has senior and entry level and mid level and all this in between. But um, that said, you're going to see a lot of that. Um, So know it's going to be a very hard challenge to kind of get into the field right now. So the best thing you do is create your portfolio, create your persona or not (laughs) persona, create your um, uh, case studies, um, and um, you know hone in on what are you going to need for applying to those jobs. Good cover cover letter, good resume, you know the portfolio done um you're probably going to be asked to do a portfolio presentation because if you're entering the field at entry level um chances are they're going to want to see some work experience even though like it says zero years experience or one year experience they're going to want to see some evidence that you know how to do the work right um Mm -hmm. and it's not just like here's my case study I did this project for Acme company and here's deliverable x y and z it's more about what were your thing what was your thinking behind like what the problem was that you're trying to solve for this business and then what were the what was the thinking behind why you decided to do this particular thing and then what value did it add to your process as you went through this project you know um the kind of like journey through it and that journey doesn't have to be seamless and perfect and in fact if it is it's going to probably raise re- more red flags than not um so there should be things like, oh, this project pivoted or it got shut down or it never launched. And here's what I would do differently. You know, the learnings that you take away are more important than the challenges you ran into in the project itself. Like in terms of like, oh, our CEO left and we got a new CEO and they had a completely different agenda. And so now we had to change everything about this You know, stuff that we were working on. Um, As long as it's communicated in the case study to say, oh, this is why they went back to redesign that same screen they already designed in the same project, you know, um, that starts to make more sense, that starts to feel more real to me as a hiring manager versus here's my project, everything went perfect, everybody agreed with everything we were doing and we just did all these things. Either one, it tells me you didn't have a real client or real stakeholders. Um, Or two, it was just a weird fluke chance, and it makes me feel like you didn't get that kind of grit about you of, you know, what you would normally experience in a project where things can be difficult sometimes. Things, people, process, whatever, you know. Um, Other things I'd say about in this economy, um, aside from like, you know, honing in on the things you're going to need for interviewing, um, would be just networking. Um, Just building that network, connecting with people. Um, If you're like job hunting, that's cool, you know, but one of the things you could also be doing is just connecting with other designers. You talked about it earlier. Um, You know, is just being able to talk to other designers and hear about what's going on in the industry and that kind of thing um, can be super helpful. um, Just in terms of just meeting people, creating connections, um, sharing your thoughts with them, because if I'm a hiring manager and I'm on the inside of a company, and you ping me and say, hey, Nick, you know, I see you guys are hiring an entry level position. I'm gonna remember the conversation we had or at least try to remember it. Um, and then I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, this person like had a lot of interesting stuff to say about this thing. And I'm like, this person really understands design. So I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. It's kind of like being able, it's like the, the the micro version of being able to work with somebody before they hire you. Um, so like, if you have a referral, that's always best. Like I worked with this person, it could be in any capacity, but ideally a designer capacity. Um, at a previous company, they're going to be more likely to hire you. If you're entry level talent and you've already worked with somebody like maybe you did um, graphic or print design before and you worked with this particular individual and now they're in digital and you're applying to their company, they now know what your work ethic is like. They know about how you think about things. They know what it's like to work with you. They're gonna be able to like say, you know what, I think we should bring this person on board. They're gonna kind of be your sort of um, person rallying for you on the inside of the company. And you want as many of those folks as you can get, um, especially in a hard economy time right now. Um, So you know, having connections is gonna be your referrals um, to get into the business. Um, And those referrals are gonna matter because the other option is, to just find a job posting and apply to it. There's no signal there in terms of who you are, how you think, you know, yeah, you're sharing your portfolio. Yeah, your resume is there. There's words in it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it shares a little bit of light to that. But it goes so much further if you actually already have a connection on the inside of that company. So look at where your network's at. Where are they working? You know, are they uh, are they at a company that tends to hire, you know, entry level or, you know, new to field sort of folks? um cool then reach out to them even if they don't have jobs posted right now you want to be top of mind by the time they do post a job um so those are some of the tactics i would use um i would also say you know career coaches are good um if you're if you're kind of struggling with the portfolio resume and that kind of stuff or if you're like getting interviews but not getting farther in the process um career coaches can kind of help diagnose sort of what's happening um, and then if they have design background like myself, then they could kind of go in and kind of say, well, I looked at your portfolio and I don't think that's what's actually holding you up. I think this thing's holding you up or whatever. Um, and then we could work on it and try and, and apply to positions and see if it goes farther. Right. Um, and that's the benefit of, of having somebody like that. Um, and if, if you can't afford a coach, I understand, totally makes sense. Um, then find mentors. There's tons of mentoring platforms out there where you could just search for mentors. Um, your mileage may vary depending on your mentor. Um, so if you feel like you're not getting good advice or it's not going anywhere, or it's not helpful, or you're not able to get more interviews or get further in the interview process or whatever it is, move to another coach, move to another mentor, whatever, it need, whatever you need to do to kind of figure out your way through that, right? Um, and it's not to, you know, say like somebody's giving you, you know, intentionally bad advice. It's more just their experiences may be different than yours or you know maybe they only worked in you know financial tech and everybody's a vp so they have different advice you know um also the best way you can align with a coach and a mentor is to have, and i mean a design coach and a mentor um is to have somebody who um has hired for the positions that you are looking for so if you're talking to a hiring manager because they have a lot of experience and you're using them as sort of a mentor um, and they've only hired senior talent. They're probably not going to be able to give you calibrated advice for you coming new into the industry. Um, so look for people who can have hired for that, have experience of that. Talk about that maybe in social media. Um, those are the folks you want to kind of surround yourself with. Um, that they they're more they're more aware of kind of the challenges you face at your level versus the challenges somebody faces at a senior level. Um, And this is where, if you don't pay attention to that, you'll get mixed advice. You'll start hearing like, well, this one mentor told me I need to have eight case studies. And this other person said four is good enough. And this one said, don't put it on Squarespace. And this other one said, it's fine to be on Squarespace. It's possibly because the one with the higher expectation is probably only used to hiring senior designers and has expectations based around senior designers. Um, And that's fine. They're just unintentionally doing that, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so you could try to calibrate them and say, hey, remember, I'm new to the field. Does that still apply in my case? Um, they might not be able to calibrate because they don't hire folks like you, right? Um, so look for folks that have hired folks like you, you know, so new to the field, new to design, new to research, whatever it might be. Look for folks who are sharing that on social media, who are writing articles about that, maybe even wrote books on that. Those are great people to approach. And even if they're too busy or booked up, they might refer you on to somebody else who has more availability. Hmm. yeah i know it's it, i know it's
0: definitely quite a bit when you're you're soaking up so much information all at once and like i feel like once you start re- reading contradictory advice that's when it feels like oh maybe you're maybe like we're too much into weeds that's yeah. how i always felt like yeah. a lot of times like we just we just need to do like what feels right and then we can reassess based on the results you get yeah. In a way, like you can even just UX your own, uh, you know, job processing of all this. Yep. You yeah. Know, you, you and I kind of do this, with this podcast, to be honest. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I think that it makes sense. I mean, like in terms of like, you know, job hunting and stuff and mentors and coaches, like um also depends on the field. Like if you're talking to somebody who's been like lifelong in user research, cool. But like if you're not applying to a research position, it, You know they'll take you so far but like they can't really help you with the design thing or the content design thing or whatever it is you know that you're seeking you know sort of path into the field through um so Mm -hmm. finding people that have that title that have done that stuff is always good and it doesn't need you don't need to find like the topmost expert in the field doing that thing don't i mean i guess you could spend your money on that if you want those people are great too but like you know you could also find people who are maybe just one or two steps ahead of you, you know, can give you some level of advice because um, they've gone through it recently, maybe. Um, or they're like at mid-level and you're like more entry level. Um, they could kind of talk about what their experience was like at the entry level because it's kind of more fresh in mind. Right. And they've lived it. Right. Um, but also remember, it's all dependent on their context. Like if they're a product designer and you're looking for a more UX kind of design role, that might be a little bit different. There's some nuances there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So,
1: as we're drawing close to this
0: episode, what's the best way to reach out to you?
1: Um, I would say you know you could definitely find me on Twitter. I'm just at Nick F. Um, you could also find me uh through my website. Um, I have all my uh, mentoring coaching services listed there too. Um, uh, NickFink.com. Uh, N-I-C-K-F-I-N-C-K.com um those are probably the two best ways to reach me um and uh if you end up being a client of mine um, there's also a slack channel that i have um that you could join uh to also message me through there Um, but i think those are two probably the best way to kind of contact me and reach out and then i could kind of help direct you to whatever and you know if you're like asking for mentoring i can direct you to my mentoring page and that kind of stuff so
0: Yes. And all links of that will be found in the show notes. So you can easily check out what Nick offers. Uh, Any closing words you'd like our audience to know about?
1: You know, I think, you know, in the hard economy time, know that um, (laughs) the phrase is this too shall pass. Um, You know, it's going to be a hard economy. I've, you know, because I've been in the industry for a long time, I've seen times where the economy gets tight. Um, I live through the dot com bust era, all that sort of stuff. I guess I'm dating myself here a little bit, but, uh, you know, just know that this is temporary. It will change. Things will get back to where they were in tech to some degree. Um, You know, it might be it might look a little different, um, just like with the pandemic work might look a little different. You know, the job market might look a little different. You might have to think a little more creatively about you know what are the roles going forward right um what are the things that are can sustain through this bad economy and on the other end become a popular thing um so you could find you know gainful employment pretty easily right that's the goal right um i think you know the the thing is is to kind of just keep your head down keep moving forward right um if if um you know if things feel hard and you feel like you're stuck you know reach out get support from folks right um and, um, you know, ultimately, the thing is, is, you know, you may end up finding yourself where you like, don't really have a choice in what opportunity comes along, you just kind of got to take whatever comes at you. And, you know, maybe it's under market pay role, maybe it's do all the things role, maybe it's at a company that just is not doing anything you have any interest in, that's okay, it's still experience under your belt um and also it's a paycheck for right now right um and i think we've seen the sort of connection between employment and employee um has got a bit of a rift in it um you can no longer rely on your employer to be your family so to speak they they don't necessarily have you back your back in every situation it's not that they're out to get you it's more just that they have to do things like layoffs unilaterally and they can't make exceptions all over the place so um, that said, um, you shouldn't have an affinity towards a job. Um, if you're at a company for more than four years and you don't see a promotion or raise, time to move on. It's easy to say that in a good economy time, it's really hard to say that in a, in a, in a difficult economy time like it is right now. So know that like you got to have where you're going to land before you even think about hinting that you might be looking for a job um because you know as soon as you hint to even appear at the company it can bubble up to your manager next thing you know your manager is already finding a replacement there's a job posting for your job out there um you don't want to be in that boat um that said layoffs happen um kind of sometimes surprisingly for a lot of folks and you find yourself out of work Um, i think the thing is is to to build your support network um, build your community talk to your friends um, develop your network of connections Um, These sort of things can help you um, just kind of get bearings on things, see where the jobs are. Um, I am very grateful to have a lot of great connections in in my space. And um, I've had a number of people that like, I, you know, they don't owe anything to me. Like, I haven't been able to do anything for them. And they're coming out of the woodwork going, hey, Nick, here's this job posting It looks like it's right up your alley. And sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, whatever. Maybe I've already applied, maybe I haven't. It's still, it's like, thank those people. Show that you appreciate them. Help them out. If they're job hunting, see how you could help them, right? Um, And I think that's what we need to do in this time is kind of help each other best we can, you know. Um, And uh, I see that a lot happening right now, and I'm very grateful for the people that have like passed things along to me with like me saying no expectation of that and just being just amazed at how how thoughtful people can be in, in in times like this. Um, and so the best thing you could do is help other people out too. Um, and don't look at it as like, oh, well, you know, Sally's going to be competing against the same job that I'm competing against. And so is Joe, you know, fine. You know, the best person is going to get the job, I guess, you know, but like, that's okay. Maybe they get the job and all of a sudden they become a manager and next thing, you know, they're hiring and guess what? There's an opportunity for you. You know, it's, if you burn the bridge, if you have this kind of like uh, resentment because they got the role and you didn't it's not going to help you in your career. You got to look at we are a community. We help each other. We support each other. We help each other through these times. Um, The people who are employed, you could kind of see it all over the place. You know, the ones who didn't get laid off at those big companies are sending out all kinds of things like here's job opportunities. Here's places to go check out this spreadsheet. You know, I'm doing the same. Follow me on Twitter. You can see a lot of that sort of stuff. I think the message I'd say is keep your head down and keep going. Keep at it. Don't give up um you know the failure is is not the falling down part we're all going to trip and fall down at some point it's it's the not getting up part uh to use a quote from Mary Pickford um so mm-hmm. keep at it
0: yeah I know that kind of like a, kind of like ties into like don't have the scarcity mindset of feeling like there's only limited amount of opportunities I know because I I have had that for quite a bit of my career and then that's that's why i love my coach because he was able to talk me out of it and now i have a more of abundance mindset realizing that there's there's opportunities always coming away and you just have to show up for it
1: yep yep absolutely and you know sometimes the the you know the challenge hits you know you get out of school or you get laid off or whatever and you're looking for your next job maybe the stars align maybe that's when that particular company that is your dream job finally starts hiring you know Um, I've seen a lot of those kind of scenarios where people ended up in a far better place than they were, um, you know, when, you know, after a layoff, um, you know, maybe they were just like, well, this is a job, it's a great company, whatever. They didn't realize there could be even better experience, you know? So sometimes those opportunities open up like that. Yeah. Thank you, Nick, for being here. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Nick, for having me.
0: Yeah. This has been great. Yeah. Please do support our guests. Until then you just listen to UX growth podcast. I'm your host McMahon. Thank you for listening.